the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. We sometimes think that the only way that the Lord moves and directs and guides and speaks to us is supernaturally. And I'm not dismissing that at all. But I think sometimes we forget the natural ways that he uses to speak to us. Because we're always looking for the supernatural. What I mean by that is, what Paul indicates to us in his letter to the Galatians, is that he was redirected because of an illness. What do you think of when you hear the word guide? Most people probably think of a map or GPS. Why? Because guidance is one thing everyone needs. When the road ahead of you is dark, you need someone to light the way forward. Today, Pastor Gary shares with you the power of direction and how to allow God to steer you in the right direction. The Bible says that when the spirit of truth comes, God will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts chapter 15 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So chapter 15, verse 30 says that the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, this is obviously not Judas Iscariot, he's long gone, different Judas, a believer. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. So Antioch is is still um, a, a, a major city for the early church. You know, we think often of Jerusalem and Israel, but Antioch is up in Syria. And uh, what we have starting now at verse 36 here is the second missionary journey of Paul's. Paul's Paul's first missionary journey was around 49 to 50 AD, somewhere in there, 48, 49 AD. And now they go back to Antioch and he's going to go on another missionary journey. Now the years are about 50 to 53 AD, but he's going to get into a big argument with his traveling companion, Barnabas. They're going to get into a fight here. It's awesome. Let's see. We need to see this. And it's awesome in the sense that, hey, even people like Paul and Barnabas disagree from time to time. So that's why I think it's, it's awesome and encouraging. But look here at verse 36. Sometime later, 
So now it's about a year or two later. Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. All right, so it's a follow-up visit from their first missionary journey. Let's just go back and encourage these churches. They planted various churches wherever they went. And let's go check on them. Verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, John Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So it starts out here in Antioch of Syria, and, uh, and, and Barnabas uh, takes John Mark, and they end up going to Cyprus. That's where Barnabas was from, remember? So they split, and they end up going to Cyprus. And at this point, Barnabas fades off the pages of the Bible. We don't really have any other reference to Barnabas in the rest of Acts. So he goes off with John Mark, who, by the way, King James says it's his cousin, and I think says it's a relative, but they're related somehow. And so no wonder Barnabas is going to stick up for John Mark. They're related. They're family. You know, blood is thicker than water. They end up going to Cyprus while Paul and Silas now, now, now they're a new traveling duo. They end up going to the province of Syria and Cilicia. Sometimes we're reading words here that are provinces, and sometimes we're reading words that are cities. So, so Syria and Cilicia are provinces, they're regions. I want you to think of them like counties. So, you know, you, you can travel to Leesburg, you can travel to Loudoun County. So Syria and Cilicia are provinces, they're like counties, and that's where Paul and Silas are, are going to travel. Now, uh, why the disagreement here? And, um, and, and let's try to make some sense of this. When Paul and Barnabas get ready to go and revisit these churches, they get into this dispute about John Mark. Now, it tells us back in chapter 13, if you were with us in chapter 13, that John Mark had traveled with them for a short period of their first missionary journey. But then when they got to the region of Pamphylia, they had gone through Cyprus, and then they went to the to Pamphylia, which is in Asia Minor, Turkey. John Mark bails. Now, we don't get any information in chapter 13. It's chapter 13, verse 13. It says he just went back home. We don't get any information as to why, but there's a little insight here in this passage because the inference is that Paul's basically saying he chickened out. You know, it got a little tough, and, you know, things aren't always as easy as they appear, and this guy bailed. And so Paul is like, I don't care if he's related to you. He's a mamsy, and we're not taking him with us. And Barnabas stands up. He says, don't you call my my relative a mamsie. He's worthy of going with us. He's a good guy, and he, and he needs to go with us. And Paul says, over my dead body, he's not going with us. And Barnabas says, well, we can arrange that. You know, and they go out of that. I mean, you know, I'm embellishing the whole thing, but you get the idea. Because it does say here they got into a sharp disagreement. So what does that look like? I mean, it's just not reported. I wish the conversation were in here, don't you? I wish we could hear it a little bit. But they're going back and forth at it. Listen, I've been to Israel many times. I've seen Jewish people who like each other look like they're arguing, all right? They're just animated, so getting into a sharp disagreement must have been a wonderful sight to behold. But anyway, so they're arguing over John Mark. And Paul says here, Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them. So that's strong language. 
It's like he chickened out. He deserted us. Now, Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. He's probably leaning more on the gray side. He's an encourager by name, and probably that's part of his character. And he's like, you know what? We need to give this guy a second chance. There are some people, some of you can relate to the Barnabas side. You're like, we need to give people second chances. We need to just help people out, give them second chances. And others of you are like, they blew it once. I'm not doing this again. All right? Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but you know which one you are. Some of you relate a little bit more to Paul. Some of you re- relate a little bit more to Barnabas. The question becomes, who's right here and who's wrong? That's what we always want to know. Who's right and who's wrong? And you know the answer is, there's not necessarily right and wrong here. Now, I won't go so far as to say, and I've heard other people say, look at how God used a disagreement to double the impact on the kingdom. No, I don't buy that. I think that God obviously took a bad situation and made something good out of it. But I don't think he designed these two to get into a conflict just so that he could split them up and then, you know, multiply the effect across the kingdom. I think that's putting a lot on God here. I think these are two guys who are are disagreeing with each other. And the one thing that is important for us to recognize is good godly people sometimes disagree. And it's okay doesn't necessarily mean one person is right, one person is wrong. It just means they have a different perspective of things. They just see something from a different angle. And so we have to respect Paul's position. He's in a place where he's feeling like, you know, this is rough. I mean, in Lystra, in the city of Lystra, remember, he got left for dead. He's like, I can't take somebody with me who's not, who's not strong because this is a life and death situation. So Paul's not wrong and Barnabas is not wrong. He's like, we need to give the guy a second chance here. I know he bailed out on us once, but everybody deserves a second chance. Neither one is wrong. We just always want to figure out in a disagreement who's right and who's wrong. But it does seem that though I'm not going to pin this on God as if like he caused the division in order to double the effect on the kingdom, but God certainly makes something good out of the disagreement that these guys are having. Because Barnabas and John Mark go one direction, and Paul and his new Traveling buddy, Silas, go another direction. And this is going to become now Paul's second missionary journey that is highlighted because, as I said, Barnabas kind of fades off the pages of history at this point. Now, I will also add this. This does not end up being a lifelong dispute because in 2 Timothy, which is Paul's last letter before he dies, before he's beheaded, And by the way, sometimes the Bible is confusing when you look at, like, a lot of times the books of the Bible are named after the writer, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, okay? But then you get to 1 and 2 Timothy. Timothy didn't write those books. Paul wrote them to Timothy. So it's a little little tricky there when you look at that. But in Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, he actually makes a final appeal and asks if John Mark could be brought to him because Paul says there in 2 Timothy 4.11, for he has been helpful to me in my ministry. So fences are mended at some point. It just is unrecorded. This doesn't end up being a lifelong dispute between Paul and John Mark. They do end up reconnecting here. But Paul's going to go now on his second missionary journey here, and this is the path that they take. Coming out of chapter 16, it tells us on this journey that he came to Derby. And then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. 
All right, so they come to Derby and Lystra. Lystra, back in chapter 14, is where Paul had been beaten so badly he was left for dead. So he's pretty brave going back into this territory. And they come upon a guy named Timothy, and it tells us that his mother was Jewish, and she was a believer. Dad was Greek, and it doesn't say he was a believer. So probably this is not unfamiliar to some of you. Where you're in a marriage where one of you is a believer, your spouse is not. That's the case here. His mother, who is named later in Scripture, we find out her name is Eunice. She is Jewish and a believer. Dad is a Greek and probably not a believer. And so here Timothy is. Now, by the way, and in terms of what defines someone as being Jewish, you know, is Timothy Jewish because he's got a Jewish mom, but he has a a Greek or a Gentile dad. So what does that make him? And the answer is it makes him Jewish. It's very interesting. When, when When you trace Jewish heritage, the line is traced through the mother. And the reason why is because historically men would go off to war and die, and then therefore the heritage of their Judaism would not necessarily be able to be passed on if they were to die before having children. So therefore the Jewish identity is always passed through the mother, even to this day. Sometimes I have... Uh, alarmed people or enthused them, whichever way you want to look at it, depending on what their perspective was, when they start telling me their family history, and when I find out they have a Jewish mother or a Jewish grandmother, I say, you're Jewish. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. And some people like, you know, find out for the first time they're Jewish because it goes through the mother's line. And so Timothy is Jewish, but because he has a Greek father who's Gentile, Timothy's kind of grown up in the Gentile part of the home. Now, his mother's had a tremendous influence on him. But we're going to see here that there's a part of Timothy here that needs to be fixed because it's more influenced by his father than his mother. So here's the part that has to get fixed. Take a look here. It's not very pleasant, but here's what it says. Verse 2, the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey, the letter we talked about earlier. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. All right, let's back up here. What is going on? Wait a minute. First of all, I thought in chapter 15, we just got through learning how the Gentiles didn't have to go under the burden of the law. Why in the world is Paul circumcising Timothy? It seems like he's imposing the law on him. Listen very carefully. He did not circumcise him as a matter of salvation. He circumcised him as a matter of sensitivity. Now, here we go again. I mean, chapter 15, that's what we started talking about about how you do whatever leads to peace and mutual edification. You, you have to be very careful about what could offend somebody and cause them to stumble. There's a problem here with Timothy. He's got a Jewish mom, but he's got a Gentile father. And Paul's going to take him with him on his missionary journey, and they go first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But the Jews are going to instantly be revolted by Timothy because he has a Greek father, and he's uncircumcised. So he's going to be perceived as being unclean. They're not going to be receptive to him. So, Paul circumcises him. Not in order to secure his salvation. All right? That's a done deal through Jesus. But in order to make sure that the audience that they're going to go reach will be receptive to this guy. Now, I, I would just love to have had that conversation recorded too. By the way, in the margin of your Bible, you can write it as believed that Timothy is about 15 years of age at this point. All right? He's 15. You know? It's not like he's eight days old. 
okay? He's 15. And I can just hear the conversation. Paul's like, I got some good news and I got some bad news, bro. Well, let's start with the good news. Well, the good news is you're going to go with me and you're going to see the world like you've never seen it before. Grab your passport, buddy, because you're going to be traveling the world with me. We're going to lead people to Christ. We're going to be winning the world for Jesus. Are you on board? I'm on board. Let's do this. All right. Now the bad news. What's the bad news? I got to cut you. (laughs) Yeah, I got to cut you bad. I'm sorry to say. We're going to have to circumcise you. All right. Now, I know some of you are thinking, listen, can we move on? All right. Let me just cut it out. So uh, anyway... (laughs) All right, a little circumcision humor, but anyway, let's get, let's move on. So the idea here is, the idea here is, you're going to be, you're going to be a stumbling block to people, Timothy. We're going to have to circumcise you. And so, he is circumcised here. And Paul himself. Anyway, the whole thing, it's a little tricky. That's what they need to do. Now, and I really don't mean to be crass when I, when I ask this, but I do read this and I do wonder, who's going to check his credentials? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, <laughs> I mean, are they going to be visiting Club Med or something where somebody's going to know? But listen, it's just what they have to do to take care of this, lest there be any perception and lest Timothy be a stumbling block to the very people that they're going to reach. So he circumcises him, and on they go. And so should we. Verse 6, Paul and his companions, so now it is Paul, Silas, and Timothy... And it is interesting, though, that because he is believed, Timothy is believed to be a teenager, you you see here this, you know, Paul is an older guy and he's mentoring this younger guy, and and Paul's going to grow up in the Lord and and under kind of the spiritual mentorship of Paul, and Timothy's going to end up being a pastor himself, and that's why Paul writes 1st and 2nd Timothy to him, to give him instructions. You read the the, the pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy are basic instructions given to a young pastor about how to effectively lead and pastor a flock. And so this is a wonderful story in how Timothy is going to kind of grow up in the faith spiritually, grow up physically under the mentorship and leadership of Paul. And he's traveling with him now as a 15-year-old, thereabouts, it is believed, along with Silas on this missionary journey. This is not for the faint of heart. And yet here Timothy is as a part of them traveling together. And it says that they travel throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. So let me circle those provinces for you. Now we're still in Turkey on this map, but this is Asia Minor, so the regions of Phrygia and Galatia. And then this is, this is something interesting. Please note this with me. It says, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Okay, I'm going to finish reading the text, but just ask yourself, why would the Holy Spirit keep them? from preaching the word. That sounds almost counterproductive. Verse 7 says that when they came to the border of Mysiah, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So here, here's the region of Mysiah, and then to the north is Bithynia. Okay, It says that the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Now, Troas is a city, it's a port city, right on the Aegean Sea, so they're going to end up going there. And it says, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready. Notice we, the pronoun changes here. Now Luke, the one who's who's inspired by the Lord to write Acts, is now joining them in their traveling journey as well. So now you have Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke because of the pronoun shifts here. uh, Luke is writing here from the first person, we. 
He says, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Macedonia now is across the Aegean Sea. We're in Greece now on the map. And this is a very interesting and somewhat challenging passage too, because how is it and why would it be that the Holy Spirit would prevent them from preaching the word? And, and what does it mean that the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to move into Bithynia? And, and, and Paul gets redirected here. So this is a very, very uh, interesting passage of scripture. And in a practical sense, what does it look like? I mean, What does it mean when it says that the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to? Does it mean that Jesus appeared and, you know, blocked their way? What does that actually mean? And it is interesting, folks. In the margin of your Bible, I want you to write Galatians 4, verse 13. Galatians 4, verse 13. Now, this is very challenging, and I'm going to try to do the best I can to present this um, as, as balanced as I can. But Paul says something interesting in Galatians 4.13 that helps us to understand his attempted ministry in this region. And in Galatians 4.13, Paul says, to the church in Galatia, okay, he says, you know that it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Isn't that interesting? You know because it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit redirected them? Did they hear an audible voice? Did they see the Lord who blocked their path? Please note, sometimes the Lord will direct us supernaturally, and sometimes the Lord will direct us naturally. We sometimes think that the only way that the Lord moves and directs and guides and speaks to us is supernaturally. And I'm not dismissing that at all. But I think sometimes we forget the natural ways that he uses to speak to us because we're always looking for the supernatural. What I mean by that is what Paul indicates to us in his letter to the Galatians is that he was redirected because of an illness. It was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. In other words, what we, what we gain from when we compare Scripture with Scripture, which is the best commentary in the Bible. best commentary in the Bible is to take the Bible and compare it with the Bible and use passages of the Bible to fill in some of the blanks that one passage may not give you, but another passage does. And what Paul is letting us know is that God used a very natural thing like an illness to keep him from moving on north to Bithynia, that God wanted him to just stay right where he was in the region of Galatia. Now that becomes very challenging because I know that I can hear the objections in my head that some of you have, does that mean that God made him sick in order to keep him in Galatia so that they could hear the gospel? I'm not going to go so far as to say God makes somebody sick. I, I will clearly, however, say, because I believe, that God will use natural things like a physical illness to sideline us at a place where he wants us to remain for a period of time. Sometimes when things happen in our lives, and at first it might seem like a setback, or it might seem like, you know, this is, this is not good and God has sidelined me or, or I don't understand why I can't go here or go there. Why did this fall through? Why didn't that come through? Don't dismiss it. 
Because sometimes God will use the natural things in order to keep us right in the center of His will. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. What you've heard today is just one message from a series going through the book of Acts. Pastor Gary has provided some insightful information about the early church, and you can't help but be inspired by what you read about as the Christian church was birthed. Who are the people you admire and look to as examples of courage and faith? Is it Peter or maybe James being the first martyr? How about Stephen and the example he set? Or perhaps you're a fan of Aquila and Priscilla, a great model of a couple who followed after Jesus. Then there's the all-famous Apostle Paul, who paved the way for much missionary work to the nations. All of these people were striving to proclaim the good news of the gospel, and we hope your heart is ignited to do the same. You can reach people too, near and far, in your neighborhood, online, and even those across the world. And if you feel the Lord leading you as He did Paul, you may even find yourself following the Lord to witness in another country. In the meantime, you're welcome to listen to more messages from this series in Acts. You can do so by going to cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so glad you've tuned in today to Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.